Welcome to Conversation Pace. I'm your host, Brian Rossetti. In episode 28, I spoke with Chris Miltenberg, one of the top collegiate coaches in the country. Coach Milton is currently director of track and field and cross country at the University of North Carolina. He held the same position at Stanford University from 2012 to 2019. Prior to that, he was the national coach of the year after leading Georgetown, his alma mater, to the women's national title in cross country. It's unreal what he's accomplished so quickly as a coach at age 40. At Stanford, he had nine NCAA top five finishes in cross country, five consecutive for the men, and a dozen NCAA top 10 performances in track and field. He coached seven individual national champions and one NCAA relay champion in track and field at Stanford and an individual national champion at Georgetown plus 22 individual second place finishers. Milt's story is a great example of how coaching so often comes down to managing and motivating people, not just training them. There's a lot of great lessons in here, regardless of what type of running coach you are. He's currently focused on building a top tier program at UNC right now, that's what drives him. But it's his approach and philosophy that can be so impactful for other coaches to learn. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Coach Milt, welcome to the show, man. Oh, thanks for having me, Brian. How are things going? So big move to Chapel Hill recently. I'm excited to, uh, it's been a while since we've connected, so I'm excited to uh, get the details, see how things are going. Yeah, same here, man. It's been a while. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a heck of a last year and a half. You know, we moved here uh, to Chapel Hill last July. Uh, and so now in my second year here at Carolina, but obviously about two thirds of the way through last year, it became a year unlike anybody had ever seen. So um, it's it's been it's been great. It's been a great change. Certainly, with a lot of challenges unforeseen. But uh, as we've gone through these challenging last few months, it's it's made me even more certain this was the right place to be and an exciting place to be going forward. Uh, that's good to hear. So I I want to hear some of that because you were in Palo Alto. I, I think it's probably my favorite place to be for weather and you had such a great program there so i'm i'm curious what the transition has been like in terms of family and and also you know the program and the university what what are some of the big differences so far yeah there's i mean there's a lot of differences and there's a lot of similarities and um you know leaving stanford like you said it's it was we had a great program we had it was a great obviously a great place to be uh my my experiences there were, were incredible because of the people that we had um and i you know but i also always really as time passed through we were at stanford seven years and and my my kids were getting older and and looking at you know where would we be uh potentially forever for a really long time obviously in our, in our profession you never know that forever piece, but where could we relate to I, I was going to be really, really careful. If I was going to leave Stanford, it had to very much be the, the right place in a lot of levels. And, um, I said, our Stanford experience was phenomenal because of the people we worked, but, it, but it was hard, you know, it, it, it was hard it, it, uh, on, on a lot of levels, you know, it was a really, uh, it's an environment I think, unlike anywhere else, you know, I think a big part of why I got hired at Stanford was, um, you know, I'd worked in the Ivy League and I'd worked at Georgetown. And I think there's, you know, obviously an assumption from a crossover of, okay, I understand how to work with really high level 
academic and athletic center student athletes. And, uh, but truthfully it was, a, it was an environment even much different than those two places I'd previously been in terms of, uh, you know, just a, a very high pressure culture on that campus. And they said, it was a great place. I don't mean to say to that in a negative way, but as, as time passed and I saw, you know, more of the inner workings of it and understanding the real culture of campus, I, I wasn't sure it was really where I, I was going to be forever. Um, and, but, you know, leaving was, was incredibly difficult because like I said, of the, the people we had. And, um, and so what I wanted to be was a place where, you know, I, I only know how to work with really highly driven people that are driven academically and athletically. And I wanted to be a place that had that balance, but where people were really happy and thriving, you know, and, and, and part of a, of a, of a great, you know, overall community so we again we're really careful in, in making this decision my wife and i and our family and um but he said it's been everything we hoped it would be it, it has turned out to be for sure so family and and lifestyle were definitely a, a big part of the decision or or were you thinking differently yeah that was a big part of it, it was really an equal balance both personal professional and and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and in many ways in, in our profession in coaching at, at you know at the college level those two are so highly blended together. Um, you know, our, our my coaching profession so much affects our family lifestyle. You know, not only just where we've lived has always been based on where I've coached, but also just what our routine is like day to day, week to week, throughout the year. And so um, it, it was really a balance of both. And from a, a family perspective, this was, again, exactly the kind of environment we wanted to raise our kids in. You know, my wife would joke often at Stanford, like, you know, it's great to work here, but I, I don't know if I'd want our kids to go here based on some of the things that, you know, I would tell her about. I was experiencing from a, you know, a well-being perspective with our student athletes. Um, but professionally for me, it was also really exciting to think about building something. Um, Stanford, you know, go all the way back to when we were running, you know, especially when we were running. I mean, they were the gold standard then, you know, yeah. and, and that they, and they've always been you near know, that level. And I, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the chapter that we wrote in that great history, but we were just a chapter in, you know, and, and I, the idea of really building something at a place where we could take it from the ground up, you know, we haven't, you know, been really successful here in a while. Caroline. That really excited me, you know, of, of, of yeah. taking that ride and ascending. Um, and I feel like that was like the next challenge I was really psyched for. And, and again, even just starting to feel this momentum here, it's fun. It's exciting. It's invigorating. There were times at Stanford, you know, we would get second at the national championship and run great. And, and, you know, people would ask what happened. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, we ran great. That's what happened. And, and a year was really good. And you'd come yeah. back to campus and you'd be the only guy in the building who didn't win a national championship that year. You, you know, and we felt that our student mm. athletes felt that. And so, and again, that was what you choose in going there. And I loved that when I got there, but that idea, you know, of building something was really, really exciting to me too. Yeah, you. I read you. You had nine NCAA top five finishes in cross country, um, a dozen NCAA top ten performances in track during your time there. But so there was even despite that, you're saying just from expectations, Stanford is there was a lot of disappointment despite that success. Yeah, and I don't know if disappointment's the right word. Um, you know, probably nobody put more pressure on me or us at Stanford than I put on myself. I, I'd say that mm-hmm. with certainty. Um, you know, and we and I, and we, again we did some great things. Like you said, we were really successful in cross. We never won one, but man, we were consistently on that podium with any team in the country. Uh but it probably the thing I'm maybe equally or the most proud of is we won we won NCAA trophies on the track too, which everybody said we 
was going to yeah. be the hardest thing to do there. We did it, you know, across all three seasons. And but I, I truthfully, I, I don't know if there was ever going to be a finish line that you crossed there uh, that it wasn't chasing that still. You know, that because of all the success they'd had in the past, and also the success of of every other team on campus there too. You know, and so um, it wasn't anybody ever brought me in and said, "No, you need to win national championship." That's I mean, that was certainly stated that that was the goal and there was no denying that that was the goal. Um, but we, we had to learn. And, I, and when I say we, I mean, really, it started with me as a young head coach. And I was really young when I started. Had yeah. to learn how to only judge myself by, hey, how did I lead the people that trusted me? You know, the, the young people that I'm responsible for, only they know and I know what we're working with every day. And so I've got to judge myself on like, did I do the best I could with the people I was responsible for right in front of me. And if we do that year after year, yeah, eventually we're going to win one. And and so uh, I had to really learn how to do that. And that took me several years of really putting a lot of pressure and stress on myself and trying to live up to these expectations instead of finally, hey, we're going to do our thing every day. And, um, and I think we got even better once we started to think that way. Yeah. I mean, is it a, for young coaches out there raising families, is it not uncommon to see coaches kind of going through the same thing you did and, and unable to maybe settle in Palo Alto, you know, for a lot of reasons, like cost of living or whatever else it is, is that, do you feel like that's just pretty common or they, were you seeing that or out or, you know, besides you and there as well? Yeah. It, no, it was, I mean, it was, um, you know, as a head coach at Stanford and living in Palo Alto, yeah. uh, we were okay. You know, one of the things that took a really heavy toll on me over the years there was my staff staying in a good mm. situation. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I've lived in Manhattan, Washington, D.C., and Palo Alto. And, you know, I, those are probably three most expensive places to live in America. And I will say on my experience, nothing was even close to what Palo Alto was like. And so keeping a great coaching staff intact there was yeah. really hard. You know, and I had great young assistant coaches who then grew up while they were on the staff and went from coming as a young single assistant coach to by the time we were five years in, they have families. And then all of a sudden their, you know, landscape changed. And that, I carry that on my back a lot, you know, cause I have people that just worked so incredibly hard and believed in our mission, but you know, it was, it was so difficult to survive there on a personal level for a lot of people. And so that was another part I really wanted to be in a place where we could, you know, assemble an incredible coaching staff and they could stay. And we could have that continuity and, and people could be, again, really happy in their personal life so they can then come and, you know, kick ass in their professional life as well, too. Yeah. So you're in Chapel Hill now. You guys are settled in Chapel Hill or do you guys live outside? Um, yeah, we, you know, we live right in Chapel Hill, about 10 minutes from campus. I uh, nice. I, I did not did not want to be, uh, after having lived again in those three places in my life, I did not want to be getting on the freeway or sitting in traffic and uh, yeah. my kids, go, my kids go to school right next to campus and right, like they can walk to the track from their school. And so, um, it's oh, kind of really, awesome. really close, which is great. That's great. And so you, obviously the, you talked about the excitement. That was one thing that I was thinking about when, when I saw you make that move was the excitement of, of building a program, especially at a, at a school with such great athletic history. Um, and to be able to kind of build or rebuild a program um, compared to the, your situation at Stanford. What are some of the challenges you're having now, especially with the pandemic? Like, has it affected recruiting? Um, you know, what's the morale of the team at the moment? Yeah, it, 
for us, you know, the pandemic obviously presented a lot of challenges and a lot of uncertainty. But I, to be honest, I, I think it's actually helped accelerate our growth as a team. And I know that sounds crazy because we literally can't even have our entire team together. We, we couldn't even have, we haven't had a team di- a meeting, let alone a team dinner, anything since we started this year. We had, even last night, we had a team dinner where everybody picked up their food, went home, and we had a Zoom meeting. You know, um, because that's how we're doing it to be just probably a little bit overly cautious because we want to keep this. But it's been fascinating to watch because I think it's actually brought this this team together more and accelerated our growth, Mm. not slowed it because we 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 framed it as guys, this is the ultimate team moment, because this is when you've got to make decisions in everything you do in and out of practice about the other 77 people on the combined roster and you know we went the entire fall we had a cross-country season we had our entire team here training and we went the entire fall without one single positive COVID test testing every week our entire roster and to you know to me i mean yes is there an element of luck to that yeah but i also think our our kids did a great job of being committed to each other in the way they were doing things outside of practice and it's um that really meant i think a lot and particularly go all the way back to the spring when Everything got, you know, our world got rocked in the spring and we really tried to, again, communicate this is like, hey, this is when great teams are forged, you know, when when we're going to figure out how we navigate this. And uh, I I would say the other part that has me really fired up and excited is college athletics has changed a lot in the last nine months in terms of where we are going. This is an this is an inflection point for college athletics, unlike anything ever before in terms of. You know, the potential of a missed football and basketball season, the the partial football and basketball season we played had a massive revenue impact on every athletic department in America. And as I've told my team over and over, that gets me really excited. I know that sounds crazy because it, it is bringing us back to what's really important. You know, in the last 20 years since we were running through now, and I'd say even the last five to seven years, things have shifted so much in terms of what we say the student athlete experiences. Uh, and it's become so much more about which programs and campuses can spend more money and uh, buy more stuff. And, and, and gosh, that's not what it's about, man. And so yeah. to me, I, I'm actually excited. This is a recalibration of what's really, really important. And I think great coaches and great teams and great people are going to rise because it's going to become about culture and, and coaching and, and, and having the right people more than ever. Um, so I've really tried to you know, rally our team around that. Um, and then recruiting, it kind of falls in that same yeah. concept. Our recruiting has been, I've never been more excited about recruiting than I have been the last nine months, uh, because it's brought recruiting back to what's really important because, you know, no one's been able to come to campus. We haven't been able to go anywhere. Official visits haven't happened. So recruiting has become about what it should be about relationship building. And that's it. Everything else got taken out of the equation because we couldn't do anything else. And so uh, the people that we signed that are coming next year, men's and women's side across all the events, it, I'm, I, I'm thrilled. I'm excited because they're all coming because that's what the last 12 months have been about. It's just like them getting to know us and us getting to know them. And, and they want to be part of what we're doing. And they're truthfully up for the challenge of what we're doing. Um, so our, our recruiting has been phenomenal. And I, and I don't mean to say that to, to, to sound arrogant. It's just more like we got the right people because we went back to the right stuff. Whereas, again, since we were running through now, recruiting's changed. You know, official visits have changed. I mean, there are, what people are doing on official visits has nothing to do with what your experience will be like when you get there. And that's <laughs> how I've, you know, and, and 
I've always stayed true to like, this is what, when you come on a visit, it's about what it's going to be like when you get here. And, um, so anyway, long answer to your question there. It, it's for us, it's been a really, I said, a, an exciting recalibration in a lot of ways. That's awesome. I saw your, um, your Twitter account. I didn't realize you were on, on Twitter. I wanted to bust you about that. Um, <laughs> but, but I saw, uh, I, what's that? I said very limited. On there. Yeah, <laughs> I saw some posts. I was looking at some of the athletes that you were posting that were coming in. Does that represent a big change in terms of um, the the level of recruits that that have been coming in the last you know three, four, five years into UNC? Uh, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I mean, certainly. Um, I mean, we you know if you look at some of those different rankings, you know, we were typically different rankings had us either first or second on both genders recruiting class in the entire country. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think so across all the events, obviously on the distance side, we, we've made a big impact in recruiting that hasn't been in, in several years here. Um, and but even in the other, even across the other events, too, sprints, jump throws. I mean, we were very targeted in, in who we wanted and the kind of people we wanted. And, uh, it was about the right people, not just huge numbers. And, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, it's it's been been really exciting to watch that come together. But so I want to figure out now why is that happening in your mind before you've started to have any, you know, kind of real success there yet since you just got there and now it's it's been you know interrupted, meaning we've kind of paused things because of the pandemic. But why? I mean, because that's the sense that I got. It's like holy cow, stuff's happening at UNC already. You know, Milt's. Melts turning this thing around. Um, so how how is it happening before you guys have had, you know, some success to start to attract um, faster runners coming out of high school? Yeah, I, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, I, I'd like to think the the most important part was the work we did in building relationships and um, really getting to know the people that we brought in and that we were excited about. And, and and again, that's an interesting part of this pandemic experience because, you know, they didn't get to run outdoor track their junior year, all these people that are coming next year either. And mm. I swear I learned more about who I wanted here by watching how they responded to the pandemic than I did had they yeah. had run outdoor track. Because then yeah. day, and for us, because for us, it's about, you know, who are they and are they a great fit? And, I found it so fascinating when I would call people in the spring recruits, you know, we're starting to really build steam in, in the spring with junior recruiting and certain people you'd call and say, okay, man, how are things going? Well, you know, I'm not really training because we don't know if there's going to be meets. Nope. Not our guy. You know? <laughs> and, and, and then I'd call other kids, the guys, some of the guys we got coming and you could just hear a completely different tone. Hey, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm getting up and going to work today. And this is a chance to get better. And these are my goals. And it was like, yup, how you respond to this says everything about who you are. Not, oh, did they go run 405 or did they go run, you know, did she go run 440? It's like, nope, how they responded. And I, I, I think over the next two years, maybe five, we're going to see the gap at every level, high school, college, even pros, the gap between people that were able to do that the last nine months. And the ones that, well, there's no means. I'm only moderately motivated. No way. Like, our whole thing here is, man, take advantage of every single day. And so I learned more about these people that we wanted to recruit through that than watching them run junior track. Um, and similarly, you found out a lot about when I would talk to kids in the spring and they would say, 
coach, how does this affect my recruiting? How does it affect my recruiting? And, and that would jump out to me because it's like, man, mm-hmm. all you care about is getting recruited. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I, I want to hear about your goals when you get to college. Not getting to college is the goal. And that's a fundamental difference. You know, is so many people now just want to get to college, just want to get recruited or get it, you know, even help with admissions. And, and I don't want people to have major goals, not only when they get here, but even beyond here. Um, but you find out a lot about were they panicking about recruiting in the spring? That's probably not a great sign to live into. So, yeah, long, again, long answer. But for us, yeah. we, 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 we put a lot of time really getting to know the people we wanted. Because I, I love that part. And my staff would say the same. Like, I love recruiting. It's just relationship building. It's not, it's, I mean, some people view it from the outside like it's sales. I know we don't approach it that way at all. Okay. Get to know the people you want. Be totally honest with them about what it's going to be like. I think, Brian, honestly, I think we scared off a lot of people in the spring. <laughs> well, and I'm, I'm good with that. I mean, that's kind of how yeah. we've always done it. You know, it's like, are you up for this challenge? This is what we're going to do here. And no, we haven't done any of it yet, but this is what we're going to do. And, and I think it was for us, you know, me and my staff who all came from Stanford, I, I think there was an element of, uh, legitimacy when we would say that because we we could say this is what we're going to do and we had already seen what that path looks like before you know there's a credibility to us that i hope carried a little bit there these guys aren't just talking they know what that road actually looks like and how hard it's going to be let's go do it do you feel like that's pretty unique um with coaches you know in our sport in terms of you said you you love recruiting my sense was always that coaches don't love it and they feel like they don't have the resources to do it properly. So is it is it more smaller schools where that sentiment's probably consistent versus a school that has a little bit more resources like yourself? Or do you feel like you're you're fairly unique, you know, across NCAA Division One where you love recruiting, you thrive. This is where, you know, you you can make your moment here. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think for us, and I don't know if it's, I don't believe it's unique to me, but I, I think yeah. it's all about how you, how you view recruiting. Like, what do you view it as? Like, if you view it as, oh man, I got to go convince this 17 year old kid to come here, then I would hate recruiting if I viewed it that way too. Like, that, <laughs> that sounds terrible to me, you know? Yeah. But I, I, I view recruiting as, as very much the opposite is, hey, we're going to make sure that we really get to know this kid they get to know us everything about us the good you know the the bad the reality so that they come they know what they're getting into because ultimately that's where you build your team culture is the the, what is the what is the expectations that they are coming to the very first day freshman year with well that's what the recruiting process you're setting and and you may scare people off and that's great if you do they weren't the right fit that's okay and so to me it's like if you view those two things separately yeah, building your team culture and recruiting. It's like recruiting is ultimately how you build your team culture. Is you know, and that was a big thing for us at Stanford. Like I was always saying to our staff at Stanford, and it's true here in slightly different ways. Was we have to recruit with discipline because at Stanford there was a million people who just wanted to go to Stanford and would tell yeah. you anything you need to hear, and and some of them would actually run pretty fast, you know. But yeah. why did you want to come to Stanford? Like. If you just want to go to a great school, there, yeah, there, there, there's other great schools. Come because you want to go to a great school, obviously, but you also want to freaking run and you want to be part of our team and you want to be part of our mission. And so we were weeding that out all the time more than we were selling. It's like we were trying to really get down to, you know, what are your goals? What are your intentions? Why do you want to be here? And it's the exact same thing here. 
Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think uh, that's why I love recruiting because I view it that way, you know, and then ultimately like, this is a kid that I'm going to work with. So recruiting on the front end, like it's how I identify people that I'm going to be excited to work with and are excited to work with me. And, uh, and that's one of the things I've loved about being a Carolina is um, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but I don't think that any of these guys or women that we sign next year, I, I, I'm not saying they came to Carolina exclusively because of us, but I don't think they're coming here if we weren't here. Mm. Uh, it's, it's exciting that you've got kids that chose us. You know, they want to come here with us at Stanford. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I do think we recruited really disciplined and we got the right people without a doubt, but I was never kidding myself that there were a whole lot of people who didn't really care who, who the coach of Stanford was. They just want to go to Stanford. And that's, that's great. That's nothing wrong with that. But I, I want people that want to run for us, you know, and are excited about that because that actually makes it a lot of fun when they show up the first day then. Yeah. I mean, it's almost a big, you know, it's almost a bigger responsibility, right? Cause you're, this is a big life decision and, in large part, they're they're coming there because of the the culture and and the program, versus the school first. You know, um, yep. coaches always have to deal with that. But what is your, I mean, where does this approach come from? Is it pretty much based on how you were recruited, or does this sort of develop um, over time, just based on the more you coached and and gained experience? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's probably certainly a lot of it's born out of my experience, you know, at, 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 as an athlete and then just doing this more years. And, and then also as I've gotten older, uh, being more comfortable with myself as a coach, right. Where like, I'm not trying to sell anything, man. Like I believe in what we do. I believe in our ability to, to take care of the people that come here and where we're going. And it, it, I'm, I'm good if you don't. If you don't want to, that's okay. I, I just, that, and so I think um, the first part, yeah, from my experience, I mean, certainly a big part of why I chose to go to Georgetown, you know, many years ago was was being recruited by Gags and and what I thought that role he would have for me when I got there, you know, was somebody who was going to be really invested in in you know in me and and believed in me and and was going to be part of a great team and and then in, in a twist of of just of fate, you know, Gags then retired after my freshman year. And, yeah. and Pat Henner, who took over as my coach, um, has had a bigger influence on me in every regard of my life, not just my coaching, but in every, then he's had a bigger influence on me than anybody in my life, probably. And it was all about relationships with Pat and how much, again, he believed in me and, and, uh, challenged us. But so to me, that's how I was coached. And so then going back to then recruiting was like, I was going to recruit to build those relationships all the way through to find people that that's why I got into coaching, right. To, to have the chance to give back and do what I had gotten, you know, and so still recruiting is where that all starts. And I, truthfully, I watched the way when I was in school and, 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 you know, Pat came and turned our team around how he was recruiting, how it was very intentional. It was never sales. It was, Hey, this is the mission, the challenge. Are you up for it? And, and if mm. you come, I promise you, we will be in it together every step of the way. And so it's the only way I'd ever really seen it done. So it's all I really know. Talk a little bit. Obviously, we're, we're a coaching platform. We've got a lot of coaches. But with Jack's book and his following, we we the goal is to inspire people to get into coaching and, and then improve their, their coaching skills. And I read something recently before we, you know, just before we scheduled this call to um, – where you talk about you, 
developing your desire to coach. And I think that if I'm if I'm getting this right, if I'm getting it wrong, correct me. You you said you developed your desire to coach. You wrote it. I think you wrote a letter to Henner, right? When you kind of at the end of your career at Georgetown, where things kind of I don't know. Talk a little bit about that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm getting this wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't actually. I don't know if I've ever talk, told anybody really about that. So I'm, I'm amazed you found that. But I do remember <laughs> I don't know, clear as day in my mind what that's about. Um, you know, Sam Pat Henner came after my freshman year, uh, and yeah. I had a, you know, a challenging freshman year, and certainly not out of the norm. But uh, and then the challenge was me. I, you know, I had a lot of growing up to do, and but again, he 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 believed in me, taught me how to do this the right way, and to to really commit to doing something the right way. And, uh, you know, I had some, some success in, in the middle of my college career. And then my last year and a half had some success, but also was hurt quite a bit. Uh, and, and I now I'm like so grateful for that because that's really where I probably learned the most. And I remember my last year and a half in school when things were go, you know, starts, you know, fits and starts, I'd get healthy, get going and then be back. And, and I was so, uh, all I wanted to do is run. You know, we all can relate to that. And you really yeah. couldn't see the forest from the trees on this. And um, and there were days where I felt like if I was hurt, it was like the end of the world, you know. And I remember, like, literally, it all made sense to me, like, in the 11th hour, like, at the end of my fifth year in the last month when I was finishing hurt, like, oh, wait, this is what it was all about. This is what it was all about, is I learned more being you know, the, the, through the challenges and being hurt and coming back and getting my ass kicked and then being good. I, that's what it was all about. And that like, it's so obvious now, but like it, when you're deep in it, man, you don't necessarily see that. And that hit me like the 11th hour. And I remember like writing that, you know, a long letter to Pat and then about that and talking about that is like that in probably in that moment crystallized, like, this is what I want to do. If I can go to work every day and give this back to this person, man, that's, that's never work ever. Like that's, the best thing I could do every single day. And so that's where it probably really, you know, for me, at least the first seeds were really planted of like, that's the kind of thing I want to do with my life. That's awesome. So you, you, um, from there, you essentially went to Columbia, right? I know you spent some time continuing to train after college, right? But um, not too long, you went to Columbia for your master's, right? Right. Yeah. So in 2000, I graduated college in my fifth year in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at, at that age and that point, I mean, yeah, you, you lived in the same thing that like, all I wanted to do was try to find a way to keep running. Too. Yeah. Um, and so Oh three through Oh four, I, I was in San Diego for a while. And then I came back to New York in January cause I, I got hurt again and had surgery and I was like, okay, I'm going to make one last effort throughout this spring. I didn't know if it was going to be last, but I'm all in this through this spring. I'm like, I'm going to try to run as well as I can and make the Olympic trial still. And, um, but I also spent that time in 2004 when it really crystallized to me, like, okay, I, I want to coach. Like I had, you know, debated, uh, studying to take the MCATs and apply to medical school. I had my mm. undergraduate, my undergraduate degree was in finance, you know, I mean, and so I had this kind of circuitous path where it all merged. Okay. This is what I'm going to want to do. And so I spent months in 2004 when I was trying to run emailing, calling, writing every coach in the country, looking for any opportunity to be a, a volunteer, a grad assistant, get started. And uh, I kind of really grew a qu- very quick appreciation for how difficult this was going to be to get started. Um, and 
the only two people who I really like got any responses from was uh, I was actually about to go be a volunteer assistant at LaSalle University in Philadelphia, which I know you know well, no, um, in, across town. Um, and, and Charles Torpy, who was a the coach there, was like one of the few guys who called me back right away, said, we'd love to have you. I can't pay you, but if I can help you get started. And then, it, and then the, Willie Wood at Columbia was the head coach. Um, got in touch with me right in the beginning of that summer. And so we're actually going to have a graduate assistant position open. Um, will you come in and meet with me about it? And I, I honestly had very little interest in going to graduate school. Like I wanted to coach. Um, yeah. but, but I also knew like the two things about graduate school were, um, that was only going to help me in terms of, of, you know, marketability as a coach. And in this grad assistant position at Columbia, the grad school was effectively the pay, you know? And so, <laughs> Um, you know, I, my first year I lived in New York City, I made six thousand dollars. Um, <laughs> but I did get to go to grad. I got my master's degree at Columbia through that. And so it was like, well, I'm not gonna pass this up. Um, but truthfully, my intentions were never a grad school, it was really about getting into coaching in the grad school. Was granted it was a great experience in grad school, but it was really kind of a part of just getting into coaching in Yeah, and I didn't realize so the master's was in psychology, right? Uh no, no, I my master's is in exercise physiology. Oh, how did I get that wrong? I think I think it's, it's yeah, wrong on the Carolina. It's wrong on the Carolina <laughs> website. That's why <laughs> I know that too. It says that. I was like, I knew I didn't get that wrong. Someone else did. Because <laughs> that's, uh, that's funny though, because it leads me. I made a note before we got on here. Um, you made some comments when you spoke at the VDoc clinic a couple of years ago in Mountain View, and what stood out to me the most was was how you were focused, but also how well you kind of emphasized and read your athletes. The, the, it wasn't as if, you know, you have this magical um, workout regime or uh, program or secret workouts or special formula that you came up. What stood out the most was, again, how you read your athletes. And when I, when I read that on the Carolina website, I was like, ah, oh, shit, I didn't, I didn't realize Mel did that. Like, there you go. That makes sense to me. <laughs> it was actually in physiology, not psychology. Yeah, no, the, but I, but I think it it does kind of fit because by yeah. learning, by getting my master's in exercise physiology, I thought when I was going to go to graduate school at Columbia, like, oh, this is this is a fit. This is coaching. If I can yeah. exercise physiology, and the best thing I did was was go to graduate school and, and, and learn all that stuff because in learning it, did I realize this is not where the answers lie? You know, um, like, okay. you know instead of like, in, in kind of a, in a circuitous way, like it yeah. actually did lead me back to psychology. It's like, okay, I need to know all this stuff. Like I, if I don't, then I'm probably, you know, not equipped to coach at the level I want to, but by knowing it was like, okay, I can then compartmentalize that. Say, okay, that's important part of my, but realizing in all these physiology labs I was in, None of the answers lied in there for the 18 to 22 year olds who I had just left practice with, you know, like all my grad classes were at night and I'm watching these guys at practice and, and I'm really, I'm a young assistant coach. I'm not writing the workouts. I'm not in charge. I'm learning. Um, yeah. But you know, you're watching these 18 to 22 year old guys and I wasn't much older than them. So I'm getting pretty close with them. And I'm I said, mm. this, the answers don't lie in these lab classes I'm taking. The answers lie in, yeah. in them, and who the, you know, who so how do we figure that out? And, Again, it was was getting to know them. Yeah, I feel. I mean, that was foreign to my experience. Hearing some of the stuff that you said, it wasn't until after college. My coach down at Zap, you know, he was 
this is these are post collegiate athletes, and they had the resources. He only had you know six or eight athletes at a time. So whether I was going out to get a drink or get something to eat or sitting and having a one on one meeting, that's where he was kind of reading us and maybe tweaking training, you know, accordingly. And that was interesting when you talked about at Stanford, having some meetings with athletes and and you're really trying to figure out what's going on in this young person's life. There's a lot of stress, obviously, outside of practice and the team. And how does that factor in um, to the training? So speak to a little, little bit about that, if you can, just in how that's a big part of your program and, and your your method. Yeah, and it's the part I love the most too. You know, it's the part that gets me excited. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the, the the training and the physiology and the science. I mean, I am equally fascinated by that part. But but as I said earlier, like I do believe the answers lie in getting to know people and and where I can reach you know reaching them where they are. Um, and so, to, yeah, to to your point, like especially you know Stanford and and here now starting over with people that don't know us, like that's time intensive. Like that's, it is, it's time intensive. And I think some people just don't want to spend the time or the energy. And they said, I, I get excited about that part of understanding what's going on. And Stanford was like the ultimate, uh, you know, prism for that because we had these people that obviously had been successful athletically before they got there, had high aspirations yeah. and their limit, their limiting factor was never us knowing what workouts to do or what training to do. It was what workouts and what training made the most sense in the scope of everything mm. else going on in this kid's life right now and where they want to go and where they're at. And there was a lot going on there. And and so, you know, and, and I always look at like stress is stress. And, you know, like you got a cup and you can only fill it with so much stress before it overflows. And training stress, emotional stress, psychological stress, physically, they're all just stress. And so you got to be able to read how much is already in their cup when they came to practice today. You know, and, and how much can they handle before we overflow it? And then it's all for nothing. Now we're going, now we're giving it back. Um, and, and none of that's a simplified view, but it's again, getting to know them and, and, and read them and, and have that kind of feel for what's going on. It's like, it's like even now, you know, there's so much um, of this between the wearable technology, the sleep mm. monitors, all this stuff that I am fascinated by. But I also think like, does it really trump coaches intuition in the end? You know, mm-hmm. like, or is it just confirming what we should know as good coaches by being really dialed in on our people on what's going on, you know? Um, and so I try to balance, I want to be progressive and using all those things versus like, don't get away from what works, which is like, you got to put in the time to know what's going on with it. Do you get into situations where it's, you know, you might back someone off where it's not for reasons that are obvious and in terms of whether it's stress injuries or um, sickness? Do you get into situations where then it's a challenge to be able to communicate that with the athlete and, and the team, or that's something expectations you just set? You're able to navigate that because you set expectations early, like this is how we work. And, you know, I can see athletes like myself, you know, back in the day, like, what do you mean? I'm, what do you mean I'm not doing the workout with the team? You know, do you get into those situations or it doesn't really work that way? No, it definitely uh, works that way. And, and I'll go all the way back to recruiting, right? Mm. Is it all starts in the recruiting process of yeah. 
you know, and again, this is what I've loved about being in Carolina. Why, you know, what I think a big part of the guys and women that we have coming and that are here as freshmen that, that we recruited, why they chose to come here, right? Come here because you trust me, right? You have to. If you don't, this isn't going to work. And we've got to put in the time that to build that trust. So that way, when, to your example, and we were all wired that way when we were running, like, no, I don't want to back off. Well, yeah, but you've got to trust me that I see, I, I see the bigger picture. Your job to see today, I see the bigger picture. Trust me on this. And I'll explain to you why. I'm never going to tell you just do it because I said so. But, you know, trust me in the end that, that you, we, we have the same goals and I see the bigger picture. And, and I think you got to build that trust in the recruiting process. You got to make good on that promise when they get here. You got to know your limits as a coach as to how many people you can do that for at a given time. Right. And, and know when, hey, if I take too many people, I've now compromised on that promise I made to how I'm going to really coach you, which is being dialed in and what's going on. And so knowing when to say no as a coach to who you're going to take and, and knowing your limits there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, that, that conversation is, is all the time happening. Like, hey, why are we backing off? Why are we doing more this week? Why do you, you know? And, um, but I think it comes down to you, you got to do the work to build that trust in the end. Yeah, yeah. So, well, put aside, you talked about attitude, you know, when you're recruiting and kind of getting a feel for that um, and perspective. But what are some of the things that concern you? Um, there's there's that debate or I had Coach Dan Green on from the Woodlands um, a few episodes ago, and he obviously or not surprisingly got defensive when you talk about um, kids maybe going into college where he gets attacked a lot for saying, you know, he's burning these kids out or, um, and, you know, he, he's got a lot to say about that in response, but are there any concerns that you see or that you look for in athletes that maybe a high school coach might be interesting to hear for them too, um, in terms of training, um, you know, when, when you're talking to a kid about what their training looks like, what they're doing or what they've been doing and how they've progressed. Yeah, that's an interesting one, um, and, and probably one I've I've changed on over the years. Because uh, mm. to go along with even what 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 Dan Green is saying, you know, there, there's equally been enough cases where we've all, as college coaches, gotten about excited about a kid that's really raw that doesn't really train, right? Well, you know the problem that kid can't train. Then you know, like they're not ready to train, and so there's mm. two sides to that equation. And so I would say. In, you know, I haven't listened to the conversation with Dan, but I would say in agreement with him on part of that is there's two sides to that coin. You get excited about the kid who's played soccer, but, you know, didn't run nine months a year. And, 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 and that's totally true. But then the question is like, how are they going to transition to handling training? It's a complete unknown. Right. Right. Uh, and so there's the other side. And I've, I've certainly we, we've all seen those cases where they just never are able to handle the next day So seeing a kid that has trained effectively in high school, to me, that's actually really encouraging because it's like, okay, they they are willing to train on. They are physically able to and handling this well. Um, But then I I am looking for where does the growth lie? Where does the the growth potential lie? Um, And you can't simplify that down to mileage. You can't simplify that down to intent, you know, specific workouts. It's, it's again, get to know the whole picture with a kid, talk him about their training. Um, and, and, and I think the, you know, the big thing is like a kid for me, they have to want to be coached. 
Like they have to want to be coached. And I know that sounds obvious, but it's not always the case. You know, like if they've had success a certain way in high school, I want to learn all about what you did, but also let's understand this isn't high school. We are trying to get better. So we have to evolve, right? So you've got to want to be coached. I mean, it's a 100% consistent theme in all the best athletes I've had. And, and then ones that, that I think never maybe reached their fullest potential. And it's a clear line wanting to be coached. You know, Sean McGordy, Grant Fisher, those guys wanted to be coached. They didn't want to tell me what they thought they should do. And in fact, mm. had I said to Sean, hey, what do you think? He'd be like, I trust you. What do you think? You know, mm. like, um, and, and remember, we had dialogue, but at the end of the day, they wanted to put their faith in somebody else. So that way they could go to the starting line with only worried about one thing. Hey, I trusted him. Where well, I'm ready to go. Now I'm going to do this. Not, should I have done eight quarters? Should I have done 10? In high school, we did more mileage. You know, it's like, no, no, that's a clear divide. And then the, the kids I had who always, quote unquote, knew what they needed. I mean, honestly, that never worked. You know, like they always knew something different. And right. the only person who gets held back by that is you because it's that second guessing and stress um, of that. So uh, that's kind of veering off the specifics of training. So to your question about the training, I look for the sweet spot. You know, how have they done enough where I know they can train, but mm. also where does this growth potential lie? And uh, that's hard to quantify, but you got to look at that case by case. Yeah, and then touching, you know, continuing on what you were saying about um, trust and, and being coachable, right? I think that's that's huge. I remember my coach at Zap making a point, because um, even then we had guys down there that, Obviously, you bring these kids bring their own experience. They know how they feel in their bodies. Um, we're trying to read it as coaches, and um, they they've maybe had some success doing things certain ways. So it's totally understandable. Anyone's going to naturally question anything that feels different, or maybe that they might not have done in the past at certain instances. But he made a a, a point one time to me. He's like, if I if I got a guy who literally had no clue about you know training or what was appropriate he's just super super talented and i made him do you know 200 you know five times a week at the track and said that this is what you actually have to do to win the state championship you know you just, everyone's doing 200s on the track he's like i think they would probably do pretty good you know <laughs> and he's like if they really believed that um so it's how how do you battle that are you open at practice to sort of having those discussions and making a point about hey, guys this is why we're actually doing this workout now and and why it fits into the program or do you not get into that where you just establish the expectation the culture in the beginning and then that sort of tightens things during the season where you avoid those questions, those doubts of, man, you know, why are we doing this today? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the answer is probably both. You know, do I explain why we're doing what we're doing? Absolutely. You know, I, I think that's really important of building that trust when somebody is young or, or new with you, you know, um, yeah. explaining that. The hope is as time goes on, they understand the system. They understand how I think enough, they understand to trust at that point. And you need that maybe less as time goes on. Um, and you establish that culture of like, this is what we do. These are the fundamentals of what we do. And 
And if you've got a really strong team culture, then you've got younger guys coming in and you've got older guys saying, yep, these are the hallmarks of what we do. You know, we do these, the, 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 this place, we do this marquee workout, whatever it might be. Right. And it's like that culture, you know, is pervasive. Then it comes down. So I, I think it's a combination of both, right? It's never do it. Cause I said, so, right. I will always explain to you why, um, doesn't mean you're going to agree, but you'll understand it. Uh, and then there's got to be that trust. Hey, once we, and that conversation, this is the right thing. Go to the starting line with that confidence. And, and I think, man, it's ultimately like, um, it's, it's a, it's like any relationship, right? Like you've got to be willing to, to open your, your mind and be a little bit vulnerable. And these people that cling to what they once did, I mean, it's mostly fear in my mind. You know, it's fear of change. It's fear of, uh, I might do all these new things, right? And what if I don't get better? It's easy to just cling to what I always did. And, if you said, I think about the great ones, they had none of that. You know, all the ones I've been around like this, a clear dividing line. Like they wanted to be coached and they wanted to get better. And so much of that clinging to what you previously did is I think there's a huge, uh, huge fear component to that. You know, uh, man, if I go all in on this next phase, you know, this, this new program, whether it's high school to college, college to being a pro, um, what if I go in and I'm not successful? Let me just cling to the past and, you know, I even use that analogy sometimes. Guys who have had to even run really fast in high school, you know, guys who've run three fifty nine in high school or four hundred two. Well, hey, how good is that at this level, right? Well, three fifty nine doesn't make nationals, so why would we do what we did to run three fifty nine? Let's we're gonna have to do things different, you know. And you know, or a guy who ran nine minutes in the two mile in high school, it's like, well, you know, at this level, let's convert that up to a five thousand. You don't even make regionals, so we better figure out how we're gonna grow and not just keep doing that over and over. And sometimes just even taking in that simplistic view is like. Oh yeah, I do want to get better. Yeah. Mm. So where are you guys at right now? Like, what is the expectation for um, the spring? Like coming down from NCAA's and the ACC. Like, what is at this point? Obviously, we're in a pretty fluid situation. We're probably at the worst point of the pandemic, even though many have just kind of normalized it and they're tired of it. Um, in terms of cases and deaths, it's the worst. Um, so what is like, where are you guys at as of right now? What is the spring? What are the plans for spring season? And I, and catch me up on cross country. Is it still supposed to be in March nationals? Yeah. So there's a lot of things converging at once right now and all of it uncertain too. Um, for us in the ACC, we ran a cross country season. It was very, very different. We ran uh, we were creative and jumped on it in early August with the other ACC coaches in our geographic region to put together a series of, we ran three tri-meets um, with uh, the ACC schools in Virginia, North Carolina, which was great. We ran an ACC championship, which, I mean, for our student athletes, for our guy, I mean, that was huge. Just having that fall, having purpose. I mean, I cannot tell you how valuable that was. And I think we will only realize it was even more valuable than we thought going forward when we look at the ripple effect of having had that ball um, and the, you know, the compound that will come off of that. Uh, so there, you know, there's an NCAA cross country championship scheduled for March. Uh, you know, we, we feel like with both our teams, we had, we had a great opportunity cross country. Let's continue to bring our track team together and develop and move forward. Um, so, you know, we are not prioritizing cross country throughout the winter. We're prioritizing I don't even want to say we're prioritizing indoor track. We're running around indoor track to the extent that we can, but we're just prioritizing getting better. You know, we had a, we have, we're going to our first indoor meet tomorrow, going up to Virginia Tech. And 
I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty with where it goes after this week. And as I told our team in a meeting last night, even guys, we can speculate every day as to what might happen, what could happen. This might get mm-hmm. canceled. This might, you know, or we can just take advantage of what we can do today. And we're going to go to the first meet. Yeah, and it might not be a second meet. Why are we going to worry about that today? Let's go compete this chance we get. Let's not waste a day. Um, and so that, that's our philosophy on it. Where it's going to go uh, right now, we're scheduled to have, you know, we've got a series of, of, I put several indoor meets on our calendar, almost one every weekend with the idea that two things, one, at any moment, one of these could get canceled or we could pull out. Two, they're all limited capacity, all these meets, right? So I want to make sure I create opportunities for everybody on our team if we're splitting up weekend to weekend. And But right now, we're scheduled to go and have an ACC indoor championship, have an NCAA indoor championship, and we've got a framework for outdoors too. Um, but I think we have to be adaptable. You know, I think we have to be ready for what will come week to week and, and just rolling with it as we go. What is the indoor? So you guys are having to meet at like Virginia Tech. What does it look like? It's just coaches and athletes only. And if you're not on the track, you're you're masked up. These guys go outside. They can take them off and warm up. And how? Do, what does it look like? Yeah. So this is what we know so far. We had a we had a call with uh, you know it's only four teams at the meet. Um, okay. Twenty athletes per gender in the facility uh, or or entered at all. Um, each team camp is going to be very separated from the others. Uh, it will be coaches, obviously masks at all times. Um, athletes masks through warm up if you want to warm up indoors, um, and then just to compete, take the mask off. Once you're done competing and cool down, you're out of the building. Like you're not. It's going to be really hard on teams. Like yeah. oh, you can't stay to watch the next guys go. You gotta go. Like we're gonna have our shuttles running. You're back to the hotel. We're out of there. And, a lot of logistics going into it. Um, but I, you know, again, just going to our first one this weekend, we haven't seen it yet, but from what we heard from tech, I mean, they thought of every component to this that I could think of. Um, so I feel really good about it. And we learned a lot with what we did in cross country um, in these small meets, obviously the outdoor versus indoor piece is a huge difference. Um, but I'll know a lot more after this weekend. Um, but based on what we're doing, I like the idea that we are easing into this slowly. This is a really small meet. Small number of teams, small number of people per team, uh, very spaced out schedule. There will probably be some dead time because we're going to have, you know, that space between events, people in and out, no spectators. So we'll know a lot more after this weekend and then hopefully just continue to tweak each week as we go. And you feel like up to this point, following guidelines and it's been manageable in terms of keeping everyone safe. Um, you, know, you you mentioned earlier that you guys have, I think... No athletes, right? Have had any cases? Um, throughout the fall, throughout the fall, we had none. Um, we right. now coming back from the holidays because mm. everybody was home. We've had a few, um, but again, our process here was you had to return to campus. So we returned on the fourth. Got it. Test, well, tested once, but we still couldn't practice for an entire week awaiting a second test. Now that sounds extreme. However, we caught a few during that week. So had yeah. we rushed it practice that week, we would have blown it all up. So mm. we did a good job. And I say our team as well as institutionally going slow. Like we have gone. And that was my thing. Even go all the way back to August when, or July, when our athletic director was saying, okay, I know fall sports, you guys want to get back. We're trying to get you kids on campus. I called our idea and say, hey, don't rush us back. We're good. Like we are good. I want to be the last team to come back. I want to watch how this goes. And be the last team to bring our guys yeah. to camp. 
you know, and let's, let's learn from other people as we do this. And then let's every step we take, let's go slow. So first we brought our cross country team back. All right, let's do that for two weeks. We brought our track team back. We had them not even start practice for another two weeks. Let's see what it's like having them on campus. We never had a team meeting in person. We never practiced all at the same time. And said, I think what I, and I did watch some other teams on campus that felt a little more anxious. It's like, no, I got to do these things like I've previously done in the past. And they had some issues. So I think we navigated what we went slow. So I'm trying to take that same philosophy going into indoors is we're bringing a really small crew this weekend. I want to see how this goes from the bus to the hotel, to the meat, to the meals. And let's go slow. I don't want to load up everybody and then get home Monday and be like, shoot, that didn't work. You know, let's take some more people next weekend, a little bit bigger group the next week. Let's, so we've been, I think if we've done anything right. It's just been that go once slow step at a time. And that was hard for our athletes. Like I say, you know, we started with cross first because they were going to compete. And I know for our sprinters, jumpers, throwers, waiting that extra 10 days we did or two weeks almost, that was brutal. But like, I think it actually saved us in the end. Um, so that's kind of been our philosophy. But I do feel, yeah, I feel we've, I think we've done, we've, we've done, you know, we've done everything and, and honestly probably overdone it. And, and with all of our team, my thing has always been, guys, we are never going to make our bar what we can get away with. Our bar is going to be what's the right thing to do. And there's a two very different things because so much of our country okay. has since August has been in a mindset of what can I get away with yeah. versus what is the right thing to do. And so we've held that line and, and yeah, we haven't been perfect. We tried our best. There's still a lot of moving parts and they're young people, but they've done a really good job because we've kind of stuck to that philosophy in every decision we've made. Yeah, it's funny. My dad was, he's a big Packers fan and he was talking about like the NFL teams that have little or to no cases versus other teams, you know, and what an advantage it is in the league. Like if you hadn't, if you don't sit anyone out right now and he's like, it just seemed like some coaches, you know, said right up front, like, <laughs> this is a, this is an advantage. Like we're going to do it right and keep, you know, we can't lose anyone. Um, and uh, I'm just curious, like from what you've seen, has there been a big backlash in, in terms of coaches and, and cross country and track? Has there been a backlash like with the NCAA, like in terms of, hey, we should be doing more events or um, have coaches for the most part just kind of been sticking to the guidelines from what you can tell? Uh, yeah, I, I think you, I, truthfully, I don't you know, hear from that many other people because we've been so just deeply focused on us and these, our days have been full, just, you know, to say the least of, of, of working through this in, in our house. Um, what I, what I gather, I think you hear the whole spectrum, you know, I think there's, there's frustration, you know, I I think there's equally recognition on all of our parts. Like, Hey, should we be doing any of this? Sure. Is is, is doing any of this? And believe me, I'm, I've been in that camp many days and, and I've oscillated over the last, you know, from August through now as to, should we be doing any of this? But my experience across country really showed me, Hey, never be reckless know when to pull the plug, but also how valuable this is for our student athletes. And I don't mean their athletic performances, like sure. their growth and development, their well-being. You know, I think it's very easy for people to look outside of sports and say, why are we running? Why are we playing sports? Why are we running cross country? It's trivial. And believe me, that's not lost on me. I get that thought process. But at the same time, when you see the the educational value of what we do in the growth of young people and you see it missed, you know, there is a point to try. You shouldn't do it recklessly, 
but there is a valuable enough reason to try every which way you can to do it right. And so as I had this experience in cross, I mean, I, I learned how good it was for our team and, and even not just cross country, but having our track team for training this fall instead of at home, man, that was so good for them. So good for them. And I don't mean their performances, but like their, their growth and development, their experiences. And, um, so I've really shifted more towards find a way to do it right. Um, now don't for one second think you're going to just do it like you once did. You got to let that go. Forget what you once did. Don't even think about what you once did. Right. <laughs> it's like, but find a way to do it differently. And I think the coaches that have pivoted that way have actually, it's something to get excited about versus, you know, worrying about what we used to do or what might happen. And, and it's been interesting though, man, to be honest with you, from what I do hear other coaches, some meetings were on and, and some people still not seeing the forest from the trees on it too. Uh, and I believe me have not been perfect by any means, but yeah, uh, particularly this cross country indoor track thing and people getting so worked up on qualifying <laughs> for this and that. And it's like, guys, I just want to go to practice and I want to get my people better. And I want to go to meets wherever we can, whoever we can run against. And again, it's this, this great recalibration about what's, you know, what this is all really, really about. Right. Everyone is disrupted by this. This is a once in a lifetime thing. You know, that's what it's like. I'm sort of on the same page. It's like you can understand the frustration and the anxiety and stuff, but it's, it's a, this is a once in a lifetime type of event, you know? So it's kind of like step back and, Let's be be sure first, you know, um, and be careful. But uh, yeah, it's difficult. Hey, man. So I want to, to to close. I'm really curious. Seems like recruiting's going well. You guys have been managing the pandemic very, really well. You talked about some opportunities that are coming out of this. What are your expectations for fall cross country season? Let's assume that um, you know, fingers crossed, things are going to go off as they normally do and look like a typical cross country season. Um, what are your expectations? Uh, and, and maybe share some goals that you have for the season. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, and, and I, I hate to use vague coach talk here, but the, the, <laughs> most, the most exciting part of where we are, and, and I will get specific too, but is we're, I just want to get better, you know, like to contrast again with that Stanford experience where there was nowhere to go, you know, at some point, like, yeah, and this is we have this such this exciting opportunity to just climb, you know, and and take a step forward, and you know, even looking at like our men last year in cross country, my first year when I've been here, just a you know a month or two at that point, you know, we were tenth at the ACC and we scored two hundred ninety eight points. Well, we went and our and, and our second man was sixty eighth. You know, when we went this year, nobody would notice this, but like we were seventh. And mm. scored 197 points. So, you know, 101 points less. And our seventh man was 68, you know? And so, like, yeah. again, nobody anywhere would have caught anybody's attention. But this is exactly what I was so psyched to come here to do is do that, right? That's and then cool. take a step and take another step. And there was nowhere to do that at Stanford. And, and don't get me wrong, like, that's a, a privilege, you know, to be in that boat where you're at that high. And it was incredible. It was a privilege. But this is exciting and fun, too, to do this. So we want to climb. In a set, you know, and our women the same, and our women are probably a year ahead of our men in that in that growth curve because they were a little bit better last year. They're certainly better this year, and um, and we're just super young on both sides. So you know, our women went from being seventh in the ACC last year to to being fifth, but we were you know seventeen points out of second this time, and you know we put four in the top twenty five, whereas last year we had one 
in the top 25 and, and they're, they're freshmen. And so, uh, you know, we, we just want to continue to ascend and climb. I want to be the team that can run better all season long and run our best at the end. And then we want to get back to the dance, you know, our women really, I think yeah. if this had been a normal season, our women are at the national meet, you know, and our men probably aren't yet. I know they weren't, they, you know, this season wouldn't have been yet. I don't think. And that's okay. Like we were young, we were, you know, freshmen and sophomores. And, um, but that's step one, like, we we'll get back to the dance and what's really fascinating to watch right now is what is happening in our conference. Um, the ACC is be exploding in what we're going to be at that level. If you look at what Notre Dame has done, Syracuse has, you know, was the first one to do this over the last 10, 12 years. Um, what uh, now that Vinland Anna is at Virginia, NC State's been at this for a long, long time at a high level. It reminds me of being in the Pac-12 all over again, where all of a sudden, when we were in the Pac-12, and it was Stanford and Colorado and Oregon and Washington, boom, boom, we're making each other better. And all of a sudden, you get to national meet, you look left and right, like, man, this is no better than our conference, you know? And that's about to happen in ACC. And so we're part of that, um, that rise. And so it's it's kind of like the the ACC and national meet are, are, are not, you know, mutually exclusive being successful at both. Um, and so, yeah, so again, long answer to your question, we're not a lot of specificity. We won't... We want to get back to nationals. I think our women will, will certainly be there next year to be ready to go be a top top 15 team. And I think our men can hopefully be at the dance next year. And I've told our guys every year, you know, I mean, every day throughout the fall this year, you're planning five-year guys, planning guys, you know, two-year plan to be back at the dance, five-year plan to be on the podium, you know, and that's like the fun. Wow. This isn't happening tomorrow. Guys. This isn't happening tomorrow, yeah. you know, like list. And, and I think that was like liberating for them. You know, we had this need. And I'm sorry I'm going on here. I'm getting fired up. Uh, no. we, had, we had this meet in October at um, NC State. And it was us, NC State, and Virginia on our men. And, uh, you know, we didn't run very well. because, and I, and I figured out as soon as I watched it happen, what happened. You know, it was our guys have this massive us-against-the-world chip-on-their-shoulder mindset. And they got it in their mind that like, we're going to show Virginia and NC State we're coming. And in my mind, I think we're coming too, and we're going to beat those teams in two years. You know, well, we went out, we went out and ran poorly because we weren't ready to go do that with those teams. And honestly, those guys got ahead of themselves, and they went out and and so what we talked about that night is like, guys, two year plan, a five year plan. Like, put your head down, let's go to work. And yeah, in two years we're going to match those teams. Five years we're going to beat them. You know, or, or or maybe if we're not beating them, we're all on the podium, right? Um, yeah. and, and it was actually like. Guys, go back to the process. Go back to today. Let's like forget them. Let's let's become a better us tomorrow and a better us the next day. Let's go execute team style running. Let's go practice now the style of running that's going to make us at the dance in two years and on the podium in five years. And where are we going the subsequent years after that? And and now if you're a senior, it's like, well, wait a minute, what about the two year plan in five years? What was that? You know? And it's like, well, guys, this is the thing, man. Again, you can be part of setting this thing in motion so that yeah. in five years from now when you're with these guys you know your teammates who are in your class and you guys are hopefully huddled around a screen or at the national meet you know you know watching this thing you're like man we did that we started that so let's even all plant those seeds now and so uh again long answer to your question but that's kind of what we envision as steps going forward you know when, uh when you guys line up in the fall what's the like top seven i mean even top ten is it is it a mix? You're you're young, but you're still sort of a mix. And then two years out, you're going to be 
um, pretty young with the guys you're bringing in. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 well, my vision for next fall, I mean, we're all freshmen and so- well, freshmen and sophomores, as well as uh, you know, we've got two. We, we, get, we had a small roster when we got here, right? Like we've got two guys right now that are that, two guys that are current juniors that would have two more years of eligibility, who I think are going to be a big part of our future. Um, and so those two guys, as well as a lot of young guys. Um, and so, yeah, and that's the exciting part, like climbing the mountain with them. And, and that's where you got to be, you know, this idea of like, oh, should we redshirt them? I mean, we cross that bridge when we, when we get there later. Let's go get good. Like, let's go take it now. Bill, thanks for sharing today, man. We're excited to, to uh, track your progress and we'll be cheering you guys on from afar here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This, this is really exciting. Go Tar Heels, man. Hey, it's Brian. Come in.